Well, good morning. How's it, everyone? Thank you so much for tuning in for your online church experience. Uh, would you open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 18? Uh, this morning, we're going to resume uh, our series on 1 Peter called Stand Firm. Uh, last week, we took a little break because it was Mother's Day and we were able to just honor and love in our moms and celebrate who they are in Jesus. And today we're going to continue on 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18. We're going to focus on verses 14 uh, through 18. Uh, we're going to have a message called Hopeful Witnesses in a Hopeless World. Hopeful Witnesses in a Hopeless World. And what God calls us to do as His people is to really bring about hope. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is a conviction of things not seen, of things hoped for. And uh, the hope that we have in Jesus through His life, death, His burial, and His resurrection, it gives hope unto the world. All right, so let's go ahead and turn to our text this morning. We'll read from the ESV version. In verse 13 it says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. And so, Father, we're uh, reminded of uh, John chapter 6, verse 66, 666, and, and how you had many and thousands of disciples, you had thousands of followers, and you challenged them to uh, eat of your flesh and drink of your blood, and uh, Peter said, Lord, um, where else can we go? Who else can we turn to? For you alone have words of eternal life. Lord, where other people left and abandoned you, Lord, the disciples, they had nowhere else to go because you alone have words of eternal life. And so this morning, we have that same posture, Lord. Where else can we turn? because you alone have words of eternal life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. And we ask, Heavenly Father, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would hunger and thirst for your righteousness, that we would come hungry and expectant for your word, O Lord Jesus, that your word, Lord, would bring enlightenment to our souls. It would refresh our minds. It would renew us, O Lord Jesus, and that it would bring about uh, transformation in each one of us. And so, Lord, I uh, pray for more of you this morning as we uh, continue, Lord, and uh, being faithful to your word. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
You know, earlier this week, I visited uh, my old neighbor in Kulio'o. Uh, now, my old neighbor, where I used to live in the early part of Kulio'o, in the front part, uh, close to the Makai side, I visited him because uh, I needed to borrow his, his saw. Okay, now my neighbor, he's unchurched. And uh, not only that, but, uh, you know, he knows where I stand, right? He knows I'm a pastor. He knows, you know, I homeschooled my kids. He knows that I've invited him to uh, Easter. I invited him to church. I invited him to trunk or treat. Um, uh, just a bunch of different times I tried to reach out to him. And so anyways, I was like, hey, uh, could I come over and borrow your saw real quick? And as I got up, pulled up to his house, he gave me a saw. And his seven-year-old son, same age as Ezra, he approaches I says, Uncle John, what in the H-E double hockey sticks are you doing here? He goes, and where's Ezra? <laughs> I'm like, first of all, H-E double hockey sticks. I'm like, what? His, and my neighbor was like, hey, that's Uncle John. And you say, what the heck, instead of, uh, what the H-E double hockey sticks. And it just reminds me that like, man, this guy is still like totally unchurched. And, you know, we were connecting. I was like, this little kid, he doesn't need to put an adverb in it. He doesn't need to modify the verb. He could just ask, hey, what are you doing here, Uncle John? But anyways, uh, as we were talking, uh, we kind of caught up with him. And he's like, hey, how's mom and pops? I'm like, oh, you know, mom and pops. Uh, I know you took them in. I was like, yeah, they uh, decided they wanted to move back, you know, to uh, California to be with my older uh, siblings and more of my siblings are there. Three of my siblings are in California. And my neighbor was like, hey, you know what? I got to give it to you, bro, because I don't know if I could do that. I mean, to like move your your parents over here and you have a young family and to have them inconvenience your life like and and just to take them in and to provide care for them and didn't you do a sabbatical during that time i was like yeah i took a sabbatical to take care of them and 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 he's like man why would you do that you know like what would you know because if that was my parents like they're going straight to the retirement home you know what i mean like or they live with my other siblings not me and you know i was able to explain to him uh, that hey you know what bro like um this is the only command in the bible with a promise that if you honor your father and your mother it will go well with you and not only that you know you you reap what you sow you know and and if you sow honor you'll reap it now you know, I told my Judah, Noah, and Ezra, I was like, hey, you see how dad is taking care of Lolo and Lola, your, your grandpa and your grandma? Uh, take note because I'm going to grow old one day too. And uh, I'm, I'm sowing honor and care and love. And I'm, Lord willing, I'll be able to reap it at the same time. But all that to say is that, uh, you know, my unchurched unbelieving neighbor because he saw that you know I did the right thing of honoring my parents it opened up the door of evangelism my righteous suffering okay um, 
now I didn't get persecuted for Jesus. I didn't get thrown in jail. I didn't, you know, I wasn't thrown into the lion's den. I didn't die a martyr's death. But uh, just the sense of doing the right thing for righteousness sake. Because First Peter chapter 3 says that for righteousness sake, that if you do what is right before God, right, that it would open doors of opportunity for you to share the gospel, right? That be prepared for the reason that you have in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. And, and last week, we, we talked about how a righteous suffering, uh, there's real power because we share the sufferings of Christ. In other words, uh, we get to be like our Savior. Jesus said, hey, a teacher, a student is not above his teacher, right? And a slave is not above his master. And if it happened to Jesus and he suffered and we for doing the right thing, we too will also suffer for doing the right thing, that there's real power in that. And righteous suffering, it opened doors of opportunity for me to share about the grace and kindness that is in Christ. And this is the main point that I have for us this morning. Here's the big takeaway. Honoring Christ and righteous suffering offers opportunities to bring people to God. Let me say that again. Honoring Christ. How do you honor Christ? In righteous suffering, for doing what is right, for doing what is good, it will open doors of opportunities to bring people to God. It's going to be mentioned here in our text in verse 14 and also in verse 18 that people are going to ask you, hey, what is this hope that you have? And just like Jesus in verse 18, he says that uh, for just as Christ also suffered uh, one time at the cross, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. See, righteous suffering, it opens for us. It seizes the day for us to um, to share the gospel, to tell our testimony, to bring people and to point people to the goodness and the grace and the kindness of Christ Jesus. See, there's an evangelistic purpose for suffering. And remember, this word suffering, the word I'm, the way I'm using this is not necessarily that, you know, you die for Jesus or you get martyred or you get thrown in jail for Jesus, but it just means that there's a righteous affliction. It could be a difficult season of marriage. It can be singleness that you're going through right now. It could be something related to your family, uh, whether it's your parents or your children or just affliction. Maybe you're carrying the death of a loved one, the death of a daughter or the death of a son or a death of a family member or a spouse. And you're going through this affliction, right? And you're going through this painful painful disorientation where your world is turned upside down. Maybe you got fired for doing the right thing. Maybe you had to cut off uh, unhealthy relationship. Whatever that is, honoring Christ in righteous suffering offers opportunity to bring people to God. And here's the first point. Would you uh, write this into your notes and type this in? The response to righteous suffering is to not be afraid and to remain faithful to Christ. The response to suffering for Jesus and for suffering for doing right, first is don't be afraid and secondly is to remain faithful to Christ. 
last week we talked or two weeks ago rather we talked about how um, the result of righteous suffering is what blessing right that verse 14 even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed so the result of you according to Jesus and the authority of God's word is that you will be blessed the response then how do we respond to uh, affliction and to suffering righteously for Jesus we respond by not being afraid don't be troubled and by remaining faithful let's read verses 14 through 15 but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear or be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect let me ask you a question how do you uh, respond to a perceived threat around you I mean what happens to your physical body when it senses danger or your safety is being uh, threatened or you feel stressed or anxiety well psychologists call it fight or flight uh, the fight-or-flight response is a automatic physiological reaction to an event that is perceived to be stressful or frightening Do you know what happens to your physical body when you you're when you feel threatened when you go through uh, tremendous amounts of pressure and stress there's your body drastically changes it wants to fight or flight Harvard uh, Harvard School of Medicine says that uh, when you have fight or flight your body increases energy so that you can either fight or run away you know what happens to your physical body uh, there's the activation of your sympathetic nervous system which means it releases stress hormones and particularly adrenaline and noradrenaline into your bloodstream you get when you and I we feel danger coming we fight or we flight and adrenaline rushes through our bloodstream you know what else happens you have an increased heart rate your adrenaline stimulates your heart to beat faster increasing blood flow and oxygen to your muscles and your organs you have an elevated blood pressure your pupils are dilated so that you could focus it lets in more light so that you could focus and have tunnel vision you have increased respiration your breathing rate um, increases uh, to provide more oxygen you have um, enhanced blood sugar levels you have uh, hormones that trigger the release of glucose into your bloodstream uh, during fight or flight your digestive system it slows um, you have increased sweating you have heightened alert alertness and sensory perception why am I saying all this because when we go through suffering right when we go through like anxiety when we perceive threat to our personal safety or danger what do we want to do we want to fight or we want to flight and your body physically does something physiologically but Peter he commands something completely different 
Peter commands that Christians, when they are threatened physically, when they're socially, um, when they're social threats, it's not to fight or to flight. He doesn't advocate like a hostile, like counterattack to the culture, right? He doesn't fight the power or throw a revolution, right? Or revolt against um, society. Or he doesn't withdraw and flight and flee and um, isolate away. But what he does tell them in verses uh, 15 is what? Do not be afraid, but to remain faithful. So do not fear. Uh, Peter uses it in, in the way that it's used is in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12. In Isaiah 8, 12, it says, Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. So by invoking Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12, Peter reminds his readers that they are not the first of God's people to experience the threat. He tells them, do not be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't fight right away, right? And, and don't run away. Just don't be afraid and don't be troubled. Because during that time in Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 12, Isaiah's prophetic encouragement to the southern kingdom of Judah that not to fear the allied kings of Israel and Syria and Assyria. Um, he tells them, hey, just like it happened in Isaiah, nothing is new under the sun. God has delivered and God has protected his people from the very beginning. Right? And, and the Lord tells Isaiah and his hearers to not fear the threat, for the Lord is with them. And secondly, does, not only does he tell them to not be afraid, but he tells them to remain faithful. Look, look at what it says in verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, First uh, Peter three fifteen. This is like the classical text for apologetics, right? Where you're to—it's the study of defending your faith. Okay, you have people like the Bible Answer Man and Hank Hanegraaff and uh, Ray Comfort and um, you know all these Christian scientists. They're about apologetics. Now, um, now, even though this is the text that is classically used, I don't think the original hearers would have understood that. I don't think that they have that in the mind. Even though this word defense, be ready to have a defense, which is apologian, uh, it necessarily implies that Christians, um, when they go through court, uh, it's not necessarily that they have to go through court, but it just basically um, what Peter is telling them is that they're to be humble and respect their adversaries, that they um, live with gentleness and respect and meekness to anyone who might ask them for the hope that they have, 
Now, hope in First Peter, it's not necessarily an individual thing, but hope is a collective thing, and hope refers to a future salvation. This is how the New Testament scholar Lenhard Gopelt put it. Faith does not close doors to relationships with other people out of either fear or hate. It turns, rather, in openness to others just as it turns to God. So the Christian colony, the sojourners, right? Remember 1 Peter 1.3? The aliens, the sojourners, the elect exiles. You may be a, a colony in a strange land, but listen, do not fight, right? And do not uh, have this righteous vindication. Don't fight it. The culture around you. Uh, Ephesians says, for we, we wage not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We, we don't fight when we don't flee and run away to the mountains and live by ourselves, right? Hmm, right? But what we do do, right, is do not fear, don't be troubled, but what? In your hearts, honor Christ as Lord. In other words, what Peter tells them is to engage with people. Don't run away, but engage. Don't close your door to relationships with other, other people because you're afraid or you hate them. Right? Rather, just as you turn to God, turn to your neighbor, turn to your enemies, turn to your adversaries, and enter into dialogue and discussion and enter into relationship. And that's just like Jesus, isn't it? He enters in. Have you thought about um, the shortest verse in the Bible? What is the shortest verse in the Bible? That Jesus wept. If you think about it, Jesus knew full well that he was going to heal Lazarus. When they told him, hey, Lazarus is dead, um, he's like, okay, well, I'm going to go to him. He goes on a journey and he took some time and when he sees Lazarus in the tomb, he knew he was going to resurrect him. But when he saw the people around him weeping and crying and mourning and grieving, what does it say in John? It says, Jesus wept. What does that mean? It means that Jesus entered in relationship. And it's the same way um, right here when we encounter uh, trials, when we encounter uh, suffering, when we see threat around us. Let's not fight, let's not flight, but let's enter into, into a relationship. And that's just like Jesus. And may I also point out, point out here real quickly that the importance of attentiveness and detachment attentiveness simply means that we're to be fully present to our own pain that when we are betrayed we remember that jesus was betrayed and grieve and, and feel your feelings okay and we remember that when jesus was forsaken and that he was isolated and that he had a mass exodus of people just leaving um, 
Jesus entered into the pain of others, just like what I said with, with the death of Lazarus. Um, so be, pay attention to uh, your pain, but also detachment, meaning detach ourselves from our own desires and expectations in order to fully understand and experience suffering. Uh, let me ask you something. In, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says that um, be prepared to give a hope for the reason of the hope that you have. Okay, put on your thinking cap with me. Like, what does the world see in us that prompts them? It's like, hey, how come, you're, how come you have this hope? Why are you a hopeful witness to a hopeless world? In other words, uh, Hebrews 11 says that uh, hope is unseen. You cannot see hope, but why would the world ask, hey, you have this sense of hope. How, does, how is hope produced? How can people know? How can people tell? Why are we to be prepared if the world asks why we have hope? That, and we have to give an answer and defend that. Well, I think, how does the world see hope if hope is invisible? I think it's in the two words of fear not and don't be troubled. Meaning, uh, when we're not fearing persecution, when we're not... Um, when we're free, when there's freedom from troubles, hope comes from fearlessness and freedom from trouble. In other words, when we're not afraid of what people can do to us, when we count it all joy, when we encounter various trials, because we know the testing of our faith produces endurance, when we are not afraid, when we're fearless, and when we are free from troubles like oh when we're not attached to uh, familiarity when we're not attached to um, things and possessions and we hold supremely we value and we cherish Jesus in freedom and in fearlessness Boom, the world sees hope. And we'll go ahead and close with uh, verse 18. It says, For Christ also suffered. And this is the reason, this word for, this conjunction for, gives us the reason why. Why are we witnesses when we're going through suffering? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive through the Spirit. Listen to me, guys. It is through Christ's suffering that He brought us to God. It's because Jesus, unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, Jesus, the righteous, me and you, the unrighteous, because Jesus suffered the righteous for the unrighteous for me and you so that that's a purpose clause that he might what bring us to God 
It's through, in the same way that through Jesus' suffering that we have been brought near to God, it is through our righteous suffering that we bring people to God. Twice in this text, when we go through righteous suffering, be ready, be prepared when we're fearless, when we are free from trouble and anxiety, people know that we have the hope of Jesus within us. Then we have to be ready to give a hope that we have so we could share the gospel. We could bring people to Jesus. The reason why I have hope, the reason why I'm not, I'm no worry, beef curry, is because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's because of Christ. And how does this happen? How are people brought close? It's through righteous suffering, but um, Peter says, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. See, when we go through righteous suffering, you guys, pride, self, self-will, the illusion of control, it's being put to death. But when we are made alive in Christ, when we, when we mortify and we crucify and we put to death our sin, our past, our judgment, our condemnation, our self-will, our self-righteousness, our self-sufficiency, when it's crucified, it brings people to God and we're resurrected to be made alive in you. And I'll go ahead and close with this. This is a quote from uh, Tim Keller who happened to pass away earlier this week. And this is what he says, Religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. How am I connecting this? Well, through Jesus' righteous suffering, He brought us, what? To God. Listen, you guys, the gospel is not streets of gold. The gospel is not heaven where we have no suffering, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. That's not heaven. Heaven, Jesus is what makes heaven heaven. God is the gospel. You see, religious people, they find God useful. Like, yeah, you know, I need to start going to church and I need to, you know, so my kids would stop vaping and, you know, I, you know my kids would, you know, not have, you know, teenage pregnancy and, you know, I don't want my kids to get in trouble and I want to be a good moral person and, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get divorced because I'm immoral, you know, I, I just want to, it's good for you. It's a good, good to be religious. Religious people find God useful, but Christians find God beautiful, like Jesus is everything to me. Through the righteous suffering of Jesus, I have been brought to God. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. And so, Lord, we just thank you so much for this time. And we do ask right now, Lord, that um, for strength, we pray, Lord, for those of us who are going through suffering, that we would find the beauty in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray, God, that you would redeem our suffering, that um, our suffering, our righteous suffering, Lord, it opens doors of opportunities for 
to bring people to you, O Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that we would fix our eyes on you, Lord, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you guys. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord give you peace. Love you guys. Have an amazing week. Take care.